0: If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of uh, Judges. Uh, Judges is all the way back in the Old Testament at the beginning. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. And uh, today we're going to be in Judges chapter 4. Really, just right after the first uh, few books of the Bible, you have uh, the book of uh, Judges. And so Judges chapter 4, as we continue in our series uh, that we're going through this summer, uh, called Courageous. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've loved uh, this series, and so uh, what we did is in, in the month of June, uh, if, you've been, if you were here during the month of June, uh, we took four different characters, actually, no, five different characters, and they just happened to be, we didn't plan it this way, but they happened to be all guys, and ladies, we did not want to cheat you, so um, what we did is we picked four characters that are women. Uh, from God's word to find out what we can learn, what we all can learn about courage. And today, I love this story. I love this character from the Old Testament. Her name is Deborah, one of my favorite characters from the Old Testament. And she is actually uh, kind of a a bit of an obscure character. And what happens, uh, not a lot of people know this story from the Old Testament. Um, But it's a great story. And so I'm excited about us all learning from the life of of Deborah this morning. It's a word that uh, I have learned years ago what its full meaning was uh, when I worked for a guy by the name of John Maxwell and that word is influence and I want to give you Webster's definition of influence. It's the action or process of producing effects on the actions, behaviors, opinions, etc. of others. It's the action or process of producing an effect on the actions, the behaviors, the opinions, so on and so forth, of other people. And this whole idea of, of influence is something that I don't think I really quite understood um, until I worked for John Maxwell and learned a little bit more about how we can uh, lead people and how we can have an influence. And, and I got to tell you, um, each one of you who are in here today, uh, regardless of where you are in your faith walk, regardless of how old you are, uh, what your uh, background is, uh, what demographic you fall into, um, what uh, you know, social, economic. Uh, Category you might fall into, each one of you, each one of us um, has automatically, we have influence on someone else. And sometimes it just takes standing up and speaking to have influence on someone else. It reminds me of a story when I was a, a sophomore in high school. Uh, I went to English class and it was, um, I think it was fifth period English. And so it was towards the end of the day. And I think, I'm pretty sure this was like a Wednesday. And so um, we were all in there, a um, bunch of goofball high schoolers, no offense, high school you know, guys, but it just is what it is, right? Am I right? Okay, parents, am I right? Anyway, um, so we were just a bunch of high school. See, a lot of heads nodding. Uh, Anyway, we were just a bunch of goofballs. And so we were sitting in the class, and the teacher was um, teaching, you know, something for the life of me. I can't remember. And she had her back turned to the class, and she was writing on a chalkboard. You guys remember chalkboards? Yeah, okay, anyway. um, So she was writing on a chalkboard, and um, from the back of the room came flying a rubber band, And it hit her right in the back, and the class laughed, and she did not at all laugh. And she turned around, and she said, I want to know right now who did that. And there was this long silence. And she said, we're going to sit here until someone fesses up whoever did this. And there was more long silence. Silence. And after about 15 minutes, she said, I want you to put your heads down on your desk. We are sitting here until whoever shot the rubber band speaks up. And so this went on and on and on. And the bell rang. We had to go to our next class, which was the last last class of the day. And we went to the class. But before she would open the door, she said, tomorrow when you get here, arrive and put your head on your desks. And we are going to do this until whoever shot the rubber band fesses and so the next day we got to class, and we all put our heads down on our desk in complete silence for 50 more minutes. This went on for three days, three days. Now, I've never been a teacher and you can debate whether or not that was the right thing to do, but finally on the third day, towards the end of the class, um, a good friend of mine stood up and his name was Sandy Papadopoulos. And um, Sandy was a really good friend of mine. I really liked Sandy, probably because he was shorter than I was, but um, Sandy... <laughs> and I played soccer together. Um, he was the, one of the smartest kids in the class, and he stood up and he goes, I'm the one that shot the rubber band. And I don't know what happened to Sandy, but he left the class, and you know I, we don't really know what happened to him, but um, he stood up and said, I'm the one that shot the rubber band. Now, all the class and the teacher knew that Sandy was not a troublemaker, that he was not the guy that shot the rubber band in that class. And we all knew that he, like, did this just to get us out of this awkward silence that we had experienced for, like, two and a half, almost three full days. And so afterwards, later that day, um, we asked him, me and a bunch of guys, we're like, dude, what in the world? And he's like, I was just so sick. I have my head down on the desk. I decided I would stand up and I would take the hit because I wanted to get out of there and I didn't want to do this anymore. And we were like, man, thank you so much. Finally, someone that would stand up. Fast forward a few years later, we're um, sitting around at graduation and we were remembering this incident. And one of my buddies goes, hey, Sandy, did you really do it? And he's like, yeah, I really did it. I really did, I really did the guy. This shot the rubber band, man, I took the hit and I should have been the one that took the hit. I love Sandy Papadopoulos. And it was so stinking funny, but he stood up in the midst of that class and finally ended this awkward silence. Love that story. It was a funny story. Please, if you're in high school, please don't do this, okay? Please don't be like, hey, my pastor said this is a cool thing. Okay, trust me, it's not the right thing to do. But it illustrates the fact that sometimes to lead and to have influence and to to call for change, to have a call for change, there needs to be someone who will just speak up. Am I right? Like there's something that's going on that needs to be changed, and we need someone to just stand up and speak up. I would imagine if you thought for a moment you probably have people who stood up in your life and created a good influence or a good change in your life. I've got a number of them. It starts with my mom, Susan Cullen. Um, She prayed for me from the time I was born. And I remember her telling me later in life that um, my mom and my grandmother, Catherine Heisey, um, they both prayed that God would lead me into the ministry. There <laughs> are some days I'm like, thanks. And then most days I'm like, man, I am so thankful that they did that. They had a huge influence. Today is my mom would be my mom's 69th birthday. She passed away back in March after a very, very short battle with cancer and a surprising battle with cancer. But she had huge, a huge influence in my life for good. God guy by the name of Jeff Cranston was like my spiritual jet dad. He's the pastor of Low Country Community Church, just 20, 30 minutes that way towards Bluffton. And uh, he was the one who kind of thought, man, we, we need to come back to Hilton Head Island and reach this island for Christ. But if you go back, that was in 2007, if you go back 20 years prior to that, he was meeting with me on a regular basis. Like some of you who are in high school and you have someone in the youth group who's a leader, meets with you on a regular basis or maybe Todd Cooper and Jeff poured his life into mine and he called things out and he spoke up in my life and he impacted me, he had influence for the good. My dad had huge influence for the good. My dad um, made me the guy that I am in terms of social skills and being able to talk with people, he was a salesman, he understood people, he had a huge impact in my life for the good. The list goes on and on and on and fast forward to today. Some of you who who are are, uh, leaders here in this church have had a huge influence in my own life. And I bet if you thought for a moment, you could think of someone in your life who stood up in your life and spoke truth in your life. And sometimes it's not easy to hear, isn't it? Sometimes it's not easy to hear truth. But we all need to hear the truth because there are times in our lives when we need someone pushing us, pushing us and influencing us For the good of us. And sometimes we need someone in our lives or more than one person of our lives that will push us to do the right thing, that will push us to a place of action when we are passive. And I bet if you thought for a while, you could think of some people in your life that pushed you for the good. Now listen, you can think of some influence that wasn't so good too, I'm sure. And I have those people, and they'll remain nameless today, okay? So um, take a look at this amazing character in the book of Judges, this person who had great influence in the life of someone who could do something good in a period of time in the nation of Israel that was so difficult. Listen, almost every time we talk about the nation of Israel here, we talk about the fact that they they had this up-and-down journey with God. And almost every time we talk about the nation of Israel in this context, um, they've just kind of gone into a period of time where they're not really doing well with God. And that's the case today as we kind of come to uh, Judges chapter 4. Israel had just won this amazing battle, and like God gave them this victory, and they should be really like in sync with God, really following him during this period of time. But as it is with you and me, it it was with the nation of Israel. When things were good, they forgot about God. When they, things were bad and they needed God, they would look to him. Or they would start by looking to someone else and then eventually they'd look to God. And so we find the nation of Israel in a period of time when they had rebelled against God. They weren't listening to what God had to say. And in those cases with the nation of Israel, he would just give them up to whatever nation or whatever enemy was after them. And in this case, it was the Canaanites, one of the most fierce evil enemies that the nation of Israel had. And and the Bible talks about there in the first part of Judges chapter 4 how the the Canaanites oppressed the Israelites and the Jewish people. And so that's the culture. That's kind of the background surrounding these days leading up to this time that we're going to read here. God was trying to use uh, the Canaanites to bring Israel to a place of repentance And so uh, the Canaanites are at war with the nation of Israel. And it was during this period of time, uh, thousands of years before the time of Jesus, before the time of the kings and the nation of Israel, that God used men and one woman, uh, by the, and they were called judges, and he would use them to challenge and bring conviction and speak on his behalf to the nation of Israel. And in most cases, these were men, but we find this one period of time in the nation of Israel where there's a woman, and her name is Deborah, and Deborah leads this nation, really what ultimately amounts into battle. Let's take a look and let's read together. We're going to be in chapter 4 and we're going to read different parts here as we walk through this amazing story. Check out verse 4 of chapter 4 of Judges. Now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of of Lapidoth was judging Israel. That's a great name, by the way, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Judging Israel at this time, if, you know, if you're getting ready to have a baby, consider that name. Lapidoth, little Lapidoth was born the other day. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So if people in the nation um, needed to confess their sins or if they needed insight or if they um, had questions, they would go to the judges. And in this case, during this period of time, it was this lady by the name of Deborah. Take a look at verse 6. She sent and she summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam. There we go. I've been practicing that all week, and I've totally messed it up. To him from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? Those are two of the tribes of Israel. Verse 7. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. Now let's stop there for a moment. Deborah seeks out this general. She seeks out this military leader in the nation of Israel, and there's a couple interesting facts here. We see this man who just happens to have the name Barak, and this is a guy who God is using in the nation of Israel um, to lead the army. He's the leader of their military, and, and there's a couple things that like, if you don't have to read too much between the lines to understand. Um, God had already told this man to do something. And do you get the impression at this point in time, and based on what Deborah is, is saying here to him, do you get the impression that he has listened to God and done exactly what God asked him to do? D- do you get that impression? No. I-, I don't know about you. I'm reading this and I'm going, okay. Um, she begins... And she says in verse 6, right there in the middle of verse 6, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? There's an implication there that God had already talked to this man, Barak, and said, it is time for you to take up arms against the Canaanites. It's time for you to lead this military expedition and go out and take care of business. And this general, this commander of the army didn't do anything. He did nothing. And so here's Deborah, and she seeks him out because she got a word from God that she was supposed to go to him and to tell him, hey, uh, Barak, it's time to lead. It's time to step up to the plate and lead. It's time for you to do what God has told you to do. Let's keep reading there. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. Interesting situation there. So there's a man that is supposed to be at work and God has already told him what to do and it's obvious that he hasn't done it and so Deborah is the one to stand up and to speak to him And to challenge him to get to work. There's a couple things I just want to address because, like, I know that you're thinking it. It happens to be that this leader has the same name as our president, okay? And I just want to say this right out of the gates. You guys know I don't talk a lot about politics. I'm not doing it today either, okay? I'm not doing it. This is a story from God's word about this general and this woman who is a leader. Okay and I want us to learn what we can learn from this not make implications nationally okay I think we completely miss the point for ourselves if we miss that okay The second thing is is that in this day and age do you realize how unusual it was for a woman to be used in this capacity I mean it was extraordinarily unusual and do you get the do you see what happens here it's not only Deborah that's used to lead but it's also another woman. She mentions that, doesn't she? She says there in, in verse 9 when he says, yeah, I'll go to battle, but I want you to go with me. Take a look at what she says in verse 9. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you all are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a what? A woman. And that may be like surprising in our day and age. But in this day and age, that was so incredibly unusual. And here's my point. Regardless of what is happening, regardless of what is happening in your life and in the life of maybe the people that you're involved with, your family, or um, maybe uh, the people that you interact with um, in your job or um, students at school, um, regardless of what you do or don't do, if you don't stand up and like be known and take the lead, um, God will find someone to do that. He will find someone to make sure that his plans are put into action. It's called sovereignty. When we talk about God's sovereignty, that's what we're talking about. And in this instance, God is the one that's glorified. God is the one that's revered. God is the one that's going to get all the glory Because he is going to use an unlikely person, two unlikely people, to see his will furthered. God is going to use someone to do this. And so here's this general, here's this commander of this army that um, God has spoken to, and he's sat on it. He's um, become inactive in terms of the obedience that he is supposed to um, do for God. And Deborah comes to him and calls him out, and he's even still reluctant, isn't he? He says, I'm only going to go if you go, Deborah. I'm only going to do this if you come along with me. Now, we don't know what the reason was behind that. I tend to think that this was a guy who may not have been the the best natural leader. In fact, um, Jay Vernon McGee, who's an old, um, he's, he's been deceased for years and years and years, but he's an old pastor and he wrote some books. Um, he, he calls Barack here a sissy. I love that in his books. That was kind of old school kind of uh, approach to this. I don't think Barack was a sissy in this case. I really think that he went out there and led. He just needed to be pushed. He just needed to be pushed prompted. He needed to be challenged. Haven't you had times in your life, I know I have, where I needed someone to kind of kick me in the tail, right? Like sometimes we need someone to just speak up into our lives. And that thing that God has been calling us to do that's that act of obedience, man, we're passive about it and all it takes is someone to say something. And so he's this, I don't think he's a sissy as Jay Vernon McGee says or a wimp. I just think that he's a reluctant leader. I think that there's something that God asked him to do. And for whatever reason, whether it was fear or whether it was readiness or lack thereof, or perhaps it was um, that he had another strategy that he thought was better and he was arguing with God about it. I've done that too. He just needed someone to call him action. Let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, there we go, I got it right that time, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Hirosheth, Hagoyim, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go out before you? Don't you love that reminder? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of his sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Here's this Canaanite leader who's supposed to be big and bad, and he is running for fear because the Israelites are after him. And Barak pursued, verse 16, the chariots and the army to uh, Herosheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And then there's this real interesting story from 17 to verse 22 uh, that describes this other woman that ended up killing Jabin, which was one of Sisera's commanders, um, with a tent peg. And, like, I'll let you read that part, okay? So we're going to skip down. Take a look at what happens in verse 23 and 24. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. God won, didn't he? The Israelites won. This battle or this war, or this little exchange that happened, um, God was on their side. But God used this woman by the name of Deborah to call a hesitant leader to action. He used this unlikely hero to call him to do something great. You know sometimes helping others move from a place of being passive to a place of action um, requires us to stand up and be courageous. Deborah was sitting there under that tree, people were coming to her, and something happened between her and God, and she got up from where she was. I kind of get the feeling that she may have left some people that needed her because God called her to get up and to go to Barak. And to speak truth into his life. And look at how she does it. She does a couple things. Number one, she wasn't afraid to speak truth. She didn't mince words, did she? Hey, Brock, God's called you to this. Why have you not done it? It's time. It's time. And then when they go to battle, who's the one that encourages him to continue to go? Deborah. So she speaks truth. She doesn't mince words. The second thing is... is that she did not call him to do something that she was unwilling to do herself. Did you notice that? Like that's courage. Courage is being truthful when sometimes it hurts. Being truthful when sometimes like the person that's in the receiving end of truth, on the receiving end of truth, needs to hear it. But it's also being willing to do the thing that you're asking them to do. And she puts her money where her mouth is and she goes into battle herself. She's right there with them. She's not like, yeah, you know, God said that you need to do this, but God told me to stay back here in safety. She goes with him. So not only does she call him out and speak truth, but she is willing to do the hard thing. last thing is, is that she was humble, and she made absolutely sure that God would get the glory she made absolutely sure that this commanding officer who could potentially take credit for this victory up front, she told him, you will not receive glory. God will receive the glory. You know, sometimes courage is you and I just standing up and speaking truth with humility, with love, but also being willing to do what we can do to see that situation resolved. Here's the bottom line this morning. Courage genuinely rooted in the power of God will inspire others to be brave. I think that's the lasting impression from Deborah's life. I mean, it's a short story. It takes place over the course of really two chapters. We're not going to look at chapter five. Chapter five, by the way, this is really cool. When they had won this battle, she and Brock get together And they write a song, and they sing a praise song to God. It's one of the first hymns or songs that's ever, ever sung in the Bible. And they sing this praise song to God, giving him the glory for what he did. It's only two chapters in God's word. But it literally saved the nation of Israel from the peril of the Canaanites. And so she stands up with her courage seriously, genuinely rooted in the power of God, not in herself, not in a self-help book or, or uh, you know, podcast or whatever, but her courage was rooted in him. And listen, those of you who are here today and you're Christ followers and you're a part of this church and you're a part of this community and you're a part of a family who needs you, maybe you just need to like consider where your courage is rooted because I don't know about you. I've gone through times in my life where like the, the power plug was plugged into the wrong source. And that's why I couldn't be courageous because I, I was not leaning on God, the one true God that can help us through it. And so there's a couple of questions I want to ask first and foremost is where is your courage rooted? Like are you plugged into the source that can give you the power to speak up? When truth needs to be communicated, where is your courage rooted? Listen, before you um, speak up into someone's life, check yourself. That, that's, this is very dangerous. Like if you're not plugged into the power of God and you speak truth into someone's life, man, that's disastrous. I know because I've done it before. we got to look within I call us all the time to be introspective in our lives, to look within. But it it doesn't need to stop there. We need to look within. We need to check ourselves to make sure that we aren't being hypocrites, to make sure that we're not speaking the truth into someone else's life that we first haven't enacted in ours. But once we get clearance from God, once we've gone to him and we genuinely have our courage and the, the power to speak rooted in him, and once he's given us the green light to speak truth into someone else's life, Man, go for it. And the second question is this. Do others see your courage, or do you have a tendency to hide it? Do others see your courage, or do you have a tendency to hide it? Like, do you have a tendency to just be passive yourself? Like you see a wrong that needs to be righted or you see someone that needs to be encouraged or you see someone who needs to be challenged and maybe you see someone who said something, who committed to something and you just like keep your mouth shut so they're passive and you're passive. When that happens, guess what? God's going to go somewhere else to find a person that's going to make an impact, that's going to be an influencer. Are you connected to the right source? Is your courage rooted in God? Do others see your courage or do you have the tendency to hide it? And then lastly, I want to ask you this question. In what situation would your courage inspire others to fearless action right now? I want you to think about that. In what situation would your courage inspire others to fearless action? That's what happened. Deborah spoke up. She stood up. She was rooted in the power of God. She was plugged into the right source. She got clearance of what she was supposed to say, and she spoke up. And because of that action of just speaking up, a whole nation was changed. Think about the power that you have, moms and dads, in your homes, brothers or sisters with your siblings. Think about the opportunity that you have, teachers. Administrators in schools, that you have to influence for the good someone who's in your scope of leadership. John Maxwell has a whole book that he's written about influence. It's called Becoming a Person of Influence. And he begins by saying, if your life is in any way connected with someone else, you are an influencer. Each one of you have the power to influence someone else. And influence is interesting because it's really binary, isn't it? It's either influence for the good or it's influence for bad. There's not much in between. I bet you don't look back on your life and think, yeah, so-and-so influenced me f- for the average. <laughs> it's either for good or it's for bad. When I was 15, 16 years old, right about the time of the rubber band incident, actually, God was doing a work in my life, and I was being called in the ministry. I've shared this story a few times, but it's been a while. And I had a youth pastor by the name of Jeff Cranston. He's the guy I talked about earlier, pastor of Low Country Community Church, our sister church, the church that got us started years ago. And Jeff was my youth pastor, and he was there when I was called into the ministry at, like, 15 or 16 years old. God began doing a work in my life. Um, spiritually, I had, I had asked Jesus to be my Savior at six years old, um, but I didn't really understand that until I was, like, in my early teens, and this kind of rise of God doing something in my life was happening. And Jeff um, met with me over the course of a year and mentored and and worked with me and really helped me to kind of confirm that calling into the ministry. And I remember the day when I was getting ready to go to college. I was going to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and um, it was August. I was like a week away from leaving, and he came over to pray with me um, at our house. And so we were sitting at the kitchen table in my house in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and he said, so what are you going to major in? And I said, you know, I I think, and I I knew what he was asking. I knew why he was asking. I was a little bit nervous to tell him, but I, I couldn't lie to my youth pastor, right, right. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm going to be a business major. I think I'm going to do information systems. And he said, let me tell you something, Todd. If God called you into ministry, and you don't answer that call, He will find you. <laughs> that's that's what he said. Scared me a little bit. Like, really? Wow. And at 26 years old, completely miserable, broken, God found me. Jeff was Deborah in my life in that instance. He spoke truth in my life. And often when we talk about these things, I challenge you to think about the people who have influenced your life But I want you to think this morning before we pray about the people that you can influence. About the people who if you don't speak up, who's going to? And how can God use you right now in a situation that you know someone needs to hear the truth of God? Make sure that you you have investigated and inspected your life. But when it's time to go, don't remain silent. Would you pray with me this morning, Father God? Thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for this unlikely person of courage in Deborah. And God, right now, I just pray for those who are here today, um, and and they have they've been a Christ follower for a long time. And God, whether it's in their homes, or in their jobs, or in their schools or in their churches, or in their communities. God, I pray that if they know, if they've received confirmation that they're supposed to speak up into someone's life, God, right now, I pray that you would give them the courage to do just that. God, I pray that the people like this commanding officer, in the, the Hebrew army, God, in the Jewish army, God, I, I pray that you would, that your Holy Spirit would begin, even right now, um, to prepare those who are supposed to hear the truth to change. And God, I pray that you would allow us to be courageous enough to call someone. maybe it's a group of people, to some sort of action. God, I pray that before we do that, that we would pause for a moment in our own lives and we would investigate and make sure that we are truly, authentically, genuinely relying on you. God, I pray that you would help us to understand, just like Haley mentioned, that the power to change doesn't come from us, it comes from you. God, Deborah's not Deborah because of Deborah. Deborah's Deborah because of the power of you in her life. And God, I pray right now in this moment that you would help each one of us in here who knows that we need to speak up to fully rely on you for our source of strength and courage. And God, may you do a work. May you go before us and may your Holy Spirit do an amazing thing in the lives in our lives and the lives of the people that we have an opportunity to influence. In Jesus' name, I pray.